and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. My name is Andy, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Jera. Hello. And our special guest, Jen. Hi. So before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com slash women at warp. Looking for podcast merch? Check out our Tee Public store. There are so many designs with new ones being added all the time and on so much more than just t-shirts. Find it at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. And Jared, do you want to give the folks a little overview of what's coming up at Mission Chicago? Yeah, absolutely. We are all gearing up for Mission Chicago in the second week of April. Um, and we are going to have a panel, um, still awaiting final details on the timing for that, but, um, we are, we'll be doing a panel on called the firsts and the onlys about, um, what it means to be the first, you know, Romulan at Starfleet Academy or the first Klingon in the better in the Starfleet and what, you know, how that relates to, uh, experiences of people in the real world being the first or the only person of their background or their gender or their uh, sexual orientation in the room. And we're also going to have a table and we're going to have some really cool merch. Um, so please uh, stop by and check it out. But best thing to do is to follow our social channels for more details. Yep, we're looking forward to it. It'll be the first time the entire crew, including the, the next generation, will have all been in the same room. So. It's very exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. And we're really lucky that they set it in Chicago because I will actually show up for this one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, we have a special guest today, Jen. Jen, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your, you know, your Star Trek fandom? Sure. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is gonna be fun. Um, I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. Um, been a fan since since the '80s, I guess we could say. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I, I've uh, it's always been a part of my life. Um, and and now uh, as the new shows have come have come on, my fandom has taken uh, form in things like podcasting. I have a podcast called Snap Trek. Uh, where we compare two episodes of Trek that are tangent, that are tangentially related somehow. Um, and we compare them using different categories and just have fun with it. And, and, uh, and we write some, uh, pretty questionable Star Trek poetry, which is fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> and, uh, I've also been lucky enough to, uh, join the Trek core team, uh, to join the Trek Core team, and at Trek Core, I write the episode reviews for Prodigy. So I'm very excited to talk about Prodigy today because I love it. Yes, so we are going to be discussing the newest of the Star Trek, um, which is Star Trek Prodigy. They have done ten episodes thus far, so we have a first half of a season to talk about, um, and a second half hopefully coming soon. Um, so I guess probably the easiest way is to just work our way through the episodes. And we have the first episode, the pilot episode is a two-parter called Lost and Found, 
where we are introduced to our crew, which is a group of teens that are on, like, basically what seems to me to be some sort of slave colony mm-hmm. um, that are mining. Um, mining why? Who knows? Some sort of spacey rock. Chimerian. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they um, are all looking to, to escape, and they find a Federation ship, and you know, get into the ship and manage to escape and go off into the stars together. So, I mean, it's been, we've had a couple of new pilots in the last couple of years for Star Trek. What do we think of this one? How does it stack up? Um, I mean, personally, I will say that I didn't really love the show until the third or fourth episode. Um, so uh, caveat that I get there. But um, if I'm just talking about the pilot, <laughs> I was really surprised by the dark themes um <laughs> and i i decided to watch this show with a friend um a friend's kid who's a nine-year-old uh, girl named daphne um who uh appeared in our blog post as captain daphne um and yeah, um, really cute. <laughs> i remember she was also really surprised in the first episode there's like a part where doll is doll one of the the main uh kids he's our uh you know uh becomes kind of the de facto leader of the group um for a while and he um is trying to escape the asteroid prison mine um child labor camp um and uh and he like has a really big fall and like he's being chased and it looks like like a really like that that fall could kill you and she's like oh my god is he gonna die <laughs> and so there were these moments that i was like i was just kind of surprised and i was trying to figure out like what age is this supposed to be for yeah um because it just felt super dark to me so that was my first impression yeah i mean starting with you know a colony of child slaves is a bold <laughs> choice let's, let's... <laughs> And it's it's hard to use that word, but I do not see how anything else could apply. Um, it's not like they could leave. Yeah. Oh no, they absolutely are slaves. Yes. And sure. that to me is, um, I mean, I, I guess it, it it like Jarrett grew on me, but I was also taken aback. It it did kind of remind me of. So there are there are basically two non Star Trek properties that this show reminded me of. One of them was Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Um. And Avatar The Last Airbender is also a show that's pretty dark, actually, for a kid's show. I mean, I think it's, like, the fourth episode or something where you have Aang, like, literally walking on the skulls of his people. And we have to address the fact that, you know, there was a genocide. Um, So it's not like that one is super cheery either. But they both kind of share this, like, let's take very clearly children and then put them in a very adult situation. And, um, I mean, it can work, and I think ultimately it does work in this, but I, yeah, I agree with you, Jared. It took me a moment. Jen, how did, how did you and your kids react to that? Yeah, I mean, I was also surprised by the dark themes, but I, I, I like it. Um, I liked, I liked it right away because by doing this, it's an interesting way for them to be able to introduce trauma into the (laughs) lives of these children. In a unique way, without it being, without you having to see, you know, them being abused or, you know, you know, by parents or everything. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. the, these kids have trauma in their childhood 
it's it's a, it's an easy way for kids to understand that without like actually showing anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think that just set set up a nice stage for why for maybe why Dal reacts the way he does to things. Um, you know, for why you know it, you know for what happens with Gwen, Gwen's relationship with her, with her father. Like it, it's 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 abusive in a, in a in a different way. You know, she, you see her. Gosh, in this episode, I mean, she ha literally has to bow down to him you know, when they have their meeting. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And he's very authoritative in a way that, that you can, that I, that I think my kids were able to process, you know? Um, so I think it worked from, from that end, but I, I agree with you. It was not what I expected. It was, it was very dark and, and, and they, they had, there's some moments of level levity. Um, and by the time they actually get on this, the proto star, you know, and have their, their little, um, you know, chase to escape, like, you know, then it became more of what the show ultimately becomes. Um, but it's funny you said, you mentioned that about, uh, Avatar Last Airbender. Uh, there's also another one my children like called The Last Kids on Earth. And that one is literally about kids, a group of kids who survived the zombie apocalypse. Hmm. So there's the darkness there of, of like literally their parents are dead. Everyone in the town is dead except for them. And they're in the, you know, they're in the town with them and the monsters. And, and so I, I think, I think mm -hmm. in general, my kids are prepared for dark, darkness like that. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't phase them in a, in a way, you know, in a way that it might. Um, I, 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 I think that kind of theme is interesting to children because it's, it's kids that it, it, kids feel even, even kids that, that have a happy childhood have that sense of, of not having control and putting kids in a situation where like they do have control, like, 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 like Dal and the, and the rest of the, the proto, uh, proto star crew take control of a situation in a way that I think is very attractive to, to kids to watch, you know, to see happen. So I kind of like it, but I totally get like, it's totally not what you would have expected. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, I'm also conscious of the fact that I think as someone who doesn't have kids, I have maybe even like, I, I have like sort of lost touch with what I used to watch as a kid. And then yeah, I also yeah. don't understand what kids are watching today right. to a degree. So I, I'm like, I acknowledge I do not necessarily have a realistic idea of like, what is appropriate child program? Oh, well, I mean, I remember reading <laughs> Stephen King novels when I was, you know, like nine, you know, mm -hmm. like, and, um, you know, Christopher, but you remember Christopher Pike books? And I don't know how, how old you guys yes. are. But, oh, yes. I mean, I read those were like wildly inappropriate. You know, I was like in fourth grade reading. <laughs> Christopher Mike books, but um, yeah. So so I mean, yeah. So I guess like there's. I mean, I remember seeing like Nightmare on Elm Street. That was like, you know. What I mean? <laughs> so I guess like there. I guess I did see things that were inappropriate, uh, and we. Try, my kids don't like. I don't even like. They don't even watch like like Discovery because they're. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like especially when it started out, which is very dark mm -hmm. and and there was a lot of mm -hmm. you know gore and thing you know things like that. So. But, uh, yeah, I think ultimately it works because we leave right away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no interest in watching a bunch of children mine. Right. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> so, like, especially the cat girl. Yeah. Oh, they leave the little yeah. kitty there. <laughs> Kennedy, our co-host, was so mad that they left the cat girl. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I was so glad that they were they had justice for the kitty. Yeah, my my kids were very happy about that. The fact that it starts out and it's it's basically like this is the situation they were in. It sucked a lot. Now they've escaped and things are better and we get to see them like grow and learn and, you know, as you said, take control of their destiny. That's much more palatable. (laughs) (laughs) So I think ultimately as a framing device, it does work um, once you kind of get used to that. Um, So there's that. And then, you know, we we, when we get to the second episode, which is called Starstruck, um, this is the, you know, they've, they've made it onto the ship. They've met Janeway, which is very exciting for us anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they're starting to get like settle into the ship and like figure it out and stuff. Um, and they almost fall into a star and have to like learn how to drive the ship and like work together and all of these things. I felt like this episode was really, um, cause the pilot episode, I think, did what pilot episodes was, are supposed to do, which is set up the premise and set up the characters quickly and in, in an understandable way. Mm-hmm. And I think that it did that. I think this episode kind of s- struggles with second episode syndrome. <laughs> We're still trying to like figure out the tone of what the show is going to be like now that you've established everything. So I, I enjoyed this episode fine, but I just didn't, yeah, it wasn't, it was probably my least favorite of all of them. Thoughts from others? I, th- I thought, um, I would have preferred if they made Lost and Found into, into one episode and then Starstruck was the second part of the, mm-hmm. of the premiere. I think that would have done a better job of showcasing what the show's actually going to be. You know, mm-hmm. um, when my kids were watching Starstruck, they were, I mean, you could hear a pin drop as they went through the different areas of the ship and showed them, like, this is where they sleep. This is the mess hall. You know, look, they've got a replicator. Like, that stuff was very interesting to, to my kids. It was interesting to me, too, from, from like, oh, let me see this, this new, sh- the new ship we got. I want to, you know, show me everything. But for them, you know, you know, show, you know, show me everything. I want to see everything. But for them, but for them, it was, uh, it was all new, you know, like, like they were very interested mm-hmm. to see that this is, you know, this is the, this is the captain's chair. This is the, you know, this is where the, the, ca- uh, the captain's quarters, you know, like, uh, like giving the little, it gave the little tour of the, of the ship and my kids like that. Um, and we got to, you know, know Janeway a little better. And, and I, I and I, I think that these three, yeah. And, and like you said, second episode syndrome, uh, you're right. It's still, kind of introducing and I, I I wish they would have combined the two it would have made it go a little bit quicker like like um from for my kids especially for my younger daughter yeah well let me ask you this so the second episode um kind of digs into the characters because the first episode is very much first impressions right and the second episode is where we get to know them a little bit more mm-hmm. was there a character that stood out to you all very quickly and like you were like oh yeah that's the one that's gonna be my favorite i mean for daphne for sure it was rock talk <laughs> yes and i think probably me as well um, I did, I mean, I automatically thought Zero was pretty cool because I'm like, okay, Medusin in like a cool thing that you can walk around in and not make 
people, you know, inflict illness on people. Um, that's, I, you know, I'm like, so I, cool. I'm here for the Easter eggs. Um, although I did find there was like a lot of explaining to do um, <laughs> for someone who had not seen Star Trek before. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Zero uh, took my kids' imaginations right away. Um, because the idea of what it means to be non-corporeal mm-hmm. um, was interesting to them, was something they hadn't ever considered. Um, my, uh, my son asked me... Um, if Zero was a ghost, you know, because that was his, <laughs> o- his only reference to what maybe non-corporeal meant, you know, and I had to try to explain to him what that meant. And, and so that was really cool. We could like see the gears turning um, about his character. Uh, for me personally, I was the character that stuck out to me right away was Dal. And I think I can just I can just relate to him as someone with, you know, that might have had a difficult childhood uh, as well. And and I, I find him very interesting in his journey throughout this and and I, I think also you know besides the character i think also just just brett gray is is just delightful like his delivery of the lies just he just makes me laugh uh and uh so so right away dal was my guy what about you andy yeah i would say probably zero i just find them interesting mm-hmm. i find them interesting for a lot of reasons one because as you said i'm in so like one of the few because most of, of the characters we see on the show, we don't know their species. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one was a cool callback. Um, and then I just like the way they wander around and like are so curious about everything and like really want to know more about literally anything. And they also are just very useful as a crew member. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're also wise. Like later on, we get the episode where Gwen is, I would say, experiencing some like grief or or possibly depression over feeling like she doesn't belong anywhere. And um, Zero is is kind of helping her through that. Yeah. And they seem older than the rest Mm of them. Yep. Uh, so there's there's almost like a parental vibe to them, which I I just find them interesting. I just think they're different from everybody else in an, in a cool way, and they add to the vibe nicely. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Gwen in this episode, just because. So at this point, Gwen is a uh, a prisoner. Yes, you know they <laughs> they kidnapped her to get out of the. Uh, camp and now she's like you know in the brig and everything but i think it's pretty clear from the beginning that she's going to have a redemption arc and that Mm -hmm. she's going to become a part of the crew and i don't know i just feel like she gives me very i said earlier that the um one of the shows that i one of the one of the things that this show reminded me of was avatar the last airbender I think she has Zuko vibes. Mm. I also think that the other one is Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. And she has Gamora vibes to me. You know, raised by a murderer, like, villain type. And then... Maybe Nebula vibes. Yeah, to that too. Yeah. Like, especially the, like, t- torn loyalty thing. Mm-hmm. Um... And I, I like redemption stories if they're done well. Um, and at this point in the story, you know, the second episode, I was like, how are we going to redeem this character who, you know, was an overseer on a slave colony? Mm-hmm. I like the, uh, yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I, I like how they, they 
didn't just ignore it, you know, because it's a kid's mm-hmm. show. They could have just ignored it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. Rock Talk even, you know, calls feels comfortable enough to call her out on it and and their fight in the uh the amazing vehicle mm. replicator, which I yeah. just love. Uh was and it was a really well choreographed fight, I thought too. But um but it was it was, it was interesting to pit those two against each other to, to to get through like why didn't you help us why did you know and and you know it's important to remember i mean gwen's a kid too she's a victim but she could have done more to you know she she she's acting like she was oblivious to what was happening and i don't she know was. what her father was telling her but it still should have been pretty obvious by the time she's i mean they, they appear what around you know 16 ish mm-hmm. you know but um so so I had conflicting uh, feelings about her in the beginning too, and and then also with, with the thing with Gwen is that they made her almost you know hyper competent, the hyper competent mm-hmm. character, which um, she's very aspirational that towards the end, you know, not yeah. not here in Starstruck, but as as she she moves along the season, I think for especially for my youngest daughter, she's very she's a very aspirational character. Well, and I they like they play right away into the like progeny prodigy yeah, um, kind yeah. of dichotomy thing, and like that she has to go from you know seeing herself as just like the diviner's offspring right. uh, to you know taking her place as like a teen genius, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, one thing I was going to say is the first few episodes already really set the tone in terms of the, uh, like, I will say the artwork throughout is gorgeous. The animation yes. is is really nice. And it's really nice to see, as much as I love Lower Decks, it is nice to see a different style. <laughs> I think they really take advantage of the freedom of the animation medium with things like the vehicle replicator and turning yeah. off gravity and soon we'll start to get some pretty strange planets and you know and i mean as well as the fact that they're all different types of of aliens that other than zero we haven't seen before yeah it's it's gorgeous the animation like you said the actual ship itself the protostar mm-hmm. is amazing i love that like just the wrap around you know, window slash view screen, whatever you want to call it, uh, on the bridge is just gorgeous. They take full advantage of animating, you know, these star fields and, you know, um, but also little details. And, uh, and also it's worth mentioning just, just the feel of the show is, is the music. Mm-hmm. It's just a gorgeous piece, piece of art. Okay. Also, I forgot to mention when we were talking about impression characters making an impression, mm-hmm. um, Murph, who is just hilarious yes. and adorable, and kind of reminds me of like a Lisa Frank drawing. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> my kids are also big Murph fans. Yeah. Like right away, they took to Murph. <laughs> well, this episode also does something that we see happen over and over again, in which they put them in a dangerous situation in order to force trust. Mm-hmm. So, in right. this case, it's trust in Janeway. And I wanted to ask you all do you. I read it as Janeway knows very well that they are not cadets. That's what I thought too. Until uh, later she on, she expresses she surprise. Seems later surprise, on. which uh, I thought that was uh, odd too. Yeah, because I mean, certainly you would expect that cadets wouldn't be behaving like they're behaving, yeah. um, and that they would have a bit more basic knowledge of things. Like, I mean, she has to explain the prime directive to them and stuff, which, I mean, <laughs> that's all a very convenient device for the audience, uh, especially kids who didn't grow up with Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, I read it this that way as well, and I think you could probably just explain away the discrepancy by the fact that, like, her 
um, program had been tampered with. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. what I, I think, too. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, the next episode is Dreamcatcher, which is our first away mission. And this is really where I started going, yeah, I'm on board with yes. this show. Yeah. Because it's really cool. I really love their away mission because they immediately are just like wandering off by themselves. Mm -hmm. It's very clearly like this is all the things not to do on an away mission. And as, as um, Jen pointed out, the art is amazing. I really love the planet and like I always am a sucker. This is, so this is a really, um, common sci-fi trope the you know some sort of shenanigans that shows you what you really want or what you're really afraid of and it always works if you do it right because it's a way for us to get to know our characters much better which you know we still haven't spent much time with them and some of the things are not surprising um i very much uh relate to rock tech who's like you know cute (laughs) yeah Puppy like things. Cuddle these cute yeah. things. C- cuddles. And like she clearly just wants affection and love, mm-hmm. which is very understandable. Um, and then, you know, Zero wandering off with their tricorder, like, ooh, more readings. <laughs> Excellent. So, like, I feel like this is a tried and true sci fi trope for a reason. And I think it's executed beautifully in this episode. Yeah, it was smart of them to do it this early in, in the show, too, try to you know, teach us a little bit more about the underlying motives of all our characters and, and rock talk especially, you know, cause it's, it's, it's sad to think about her just wanting people to not be afraid of her, you know, that, that mm-hmm. that's something very important to know about her, I think. And, and you're, and the murder planet, like you said, is gorgeous mm-hmm. again here. Like you said, them taking advantage of, of it being animation, the vines, the vines mm-hmm. that just go everywhere. And, and that, it's legitimate. There's legitimate, um, frightening things on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, this is especially for me, Dreamcatcher. This is the episode with, um, the Janeway who like slinks like a snake with the vines. Yeah. That image. I, I, I mean, I think it was particularly hard for me because I love Janeway so much. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like seeing an uncanny valley version of Janeway was really terrifying. So I don't know if my kids were as scared <laughs> as that as I was, but that was really unique, a really unique thing to do. I also just think that this episode's paced really well. Like yeah. you, mm-hmm. you get the unease fairly soon, but it builds really nicely. So like, you're not, you're feeling like something's not quite right, but you can't quite put your finger on it, right. which I think is much more effective. Um, and just overall, this is another one that we see where it's like, here's your dangerous situation. Now the crew has to work together and they have to learn that they have to depend on each other to, you know, make it through these tough situations. Yeah, this was the point where, and I mean, I'm, I, I watched Dreamcatcher and Terra Firma, Terra Firma, the, which is basically the part two, um, together. I love that title. Um, <laughs> this was definitely the point where I started, like, talking to my adult Star Trek friends and being like, okay, yeah. this show is actually great. And, um, yeah, like you said, Andy, it's like, it's a common sci-fi trope. I mean, it's like basically shore leave. Um, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like a rehash. It felt like, oh, this is Star Trek. It's not just a cool kids cartoon, it's Star Trek. And um, I also appreciated, I mean, we get many, many more Easter eggs through the rest of it, but this was like, they come across a down Klingon ship and they're like 
playing with a mechleth and stuff. Um, so there was, you know, some more kind of the, the stuff for the more seasoned fans in there as well. But I think it was really entertaining for kids too. Yeah. One of the things that, that Prodigy does really well is introduce the, the Star Trek thing in the beginning and then have that thing be important later on. Like mm-hmm. here we get the tricorders and then they use the tricorders when they go to murder planet and say, Oh wait, there's no life signs, but I see this cute little popple, you know, in, in front of mm-hmm. me. And, and, uh, you know, see that later they do it with the transporter, you know, they, they with the phasers and, 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 and it's really cool, you know, to see the tech and then use the tech, which, which is helpful for the newbies, you know, <laughs> for my kids. They don't know what a tri- tricorder is. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this whole first um, season is like their level up mission. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So um, moving on to terror, terror firma. Um, so this is the one where the planet has like given up on trying to <laughs> woo them to stay and has decided to scare the crap out of them instead. Um, it's, it's obviously, I agree. It's like a part two and, I think equally great. Um, and it's also the episode where we really get to start to unpack Gwen and the Diviners relationship mm-hmm. and how toxic it is. And I knew this was going to happen. Like, I mean, it's a kid's show. It's not like they were trying to hide it, you know? <laughs> um, but I knew there was going to be a moment where he chose the ship over her. And, you know, it happened pretty much how I thought it would, but it was executed really well and you could really feel the pain she was going through. And, you know, this is just another way for them to learn to trust each other and, like, these themes of a found family when your own family is not loving. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for found family. I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Give it to me. Inject it straight into my veins. Always. Yeah, and they did a good, they did a good, good job introducing them as a found family in terror firmer terror firma i thought because this is the first time you actually see them as a group interacting on a quote-unquote mission but you know when they're when they're walking when they're trying to get to the ship when they're trying to get away and you see them bantering back and forth like i want to name it larry i want to name it murder planet you know Mm -hmm. even just like the little things like that you kind of see how uh how eventually what what their group dynamics are going to be You know, and how they relate to each other. And this is really the first time you see it. And it, it's really interesting. I think, I think they make it, I mean, we can talk about it later when we get to the, the later episodes, but they really make a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we just see that, that, that little speck of it happening, start to happen here in this episode. Um, but the part you guys are talking about with the diviner, it's, it's really, really, really sad to know that what Gwen wanted more than mm-hmm. anything was just to hear her dad say he was proud of her mm-hmm. and smile at her. And when he said he was proud of her and smiled at her, she knew it couldn't be him. Like that's what gave mm-hmm. it away to her. And that's terrifying. That's just really, really devastating. So when he did, but when he did choose, you know, the protostar over her, I was kind of scared that eventually they would walk walk that back or come up with some way like, oh, I had to do it because of X, Y, Z. And we'd have to have a, have a, you know, have a like forgiveness arc. And they didn't go in that direction, which I was very relieved as uh, I was very relieved about. Um, you gotta be really careful when you're a parent and you see these, um, these 
you know, these, these subplots about forgiveness and things like that. And forgiveness is good, but there's also just protecting yourself and doing what's right for you, you know, and, and I, 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 they may, and, you know, we talk about later on, they really made it very obvious that she doesn't have to forgive him. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, to, to, like, oh, I'm sorry. I did all these horrible things to you. Like there's, there, she doesn't have to do that. And I, and I, I think that's also a valuable lesson, you know, cause a lot of times it's just like you hear the person, the bad per- quote unquote bad person saying they're sorry. And then the forgiveness happens. And then that's supposed to be the happy ending. And, and I, I, so I was kind of worried about that, that like, if there was going to be some of that, but there wasn't, they totally went in the opposite direction, which I was happy about. Cause that's like, yeah. that's some cold, cold stuff. You know, he, he left her to die and suffocate in a pile of vines, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really good point. And I mean, yeah, like he gets some depth later, but they don't yes. excuse it. Yes. Um, so I, I really appreciated that as well. And I think that, well, I mean, I think it kind of goes to show how Gwen's redemption arc works because she acknowledges her wrongdoing mm-hmm. and yes, seeks to yeah. make amends. She just doesn't go, oh, sorry, my yeah. bad. You know, she right. goes, I should have done more. I knew better and I didn't do it. And she, you know, makes the sacrifices for the team. Um Yep. To make amends mm-hmm. for her wrongdoing in the past. Yeah, and she never has conflicted loyalty after this. She, she's never tempted to join her father's side, you know, to join the dark side, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, we do see in this episode, okay, what is her, like, bracelet-y, sword-y, I psychic love that thing? thing? Yes, her, it is her awesome. heirloom, it's called. Yes. Yes, I I think like in this episode she uses it in many ingenious ways, including yeah. like um as a leg brace. Leg brace. Um, it's a sword. It's a shield. It's a leg brace. It's a yeah. Oh yeah, so she that, uses it to to, cool. to get that last few inches so Dal can lift her mm-hmm. up into the protostar. Yep. Oh, I love it. So cool. The first time that she used it, and she used it as a sword. I think it was right in the pilot, but she yeah. like she does that thing that I love where you put your hand out and like. Your sword comes mm-hmm. out. I was like, "Oh, hell yes!" So, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's one of those moves I will always be down for. And then, and then it's really cool because uh, at one point she it like it like goes up or crawls up her hand and goes into her other hand and becomes a sword again. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, because it would have been useful to have a sword in her left hand. Yeah, and amazing. Then she uses it. It's it's so cool. <laughs> they make really good use of that thing. Yeah, definitely. So moving on from Murder Planet, much as we love it. <laughs> Um, next up is Kobe. I do love Murder Yeah, Planet. Murder Planet's pretty great. Um, next up we have Kobayashi, which is my favorite episode. Uh, I really, really liked this one. Um, I just, first of all, maybe it's because I'm a gamer. So Kobayashi is basically Gwen struggling with the fact, with her, her father's betrayal, and Dahl struggling with his leadership. So trying to find where he fits in as a captain and him kind of, so pushing back on what everyone else wants to do, which is go to Starfleet. He, he sees being a captain as what I say goes because he's a kid, you know? And, and so I love this episode because he gets to use the, um, holodeck in the way that I would use the holodeck, 
which is <laughs> a vast gaming system. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I just love it. It remind you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of I Excretus. Yes. <laughs> with Boimler um, got getting his hundred percent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on the on the board queen scenario, um, and I equally love that episode. So it must be the gamer in me, and just the idea of like having all of these different Star Trek characters. Like, can you imagine how much fun that would be? Like, you get to choose oh, your. Yeah. Crew. I mean, every Star Trek fan has those types of things, <laughs> right? Like, I, you know, build your build. Like, who would you pick for all of your your positions on your crew? Yeah, yeah. dream team. So, thoughts <laughs> on this episode from others? Yeah, my my kids are are big into video games too, and and so that really resonated with them from from that angle. Um, they the biggest laugh of the episode for them was when he did the the Kobayashi Maru for the first time and got a three <laughs> percent. They thought that was hilarious, you know, like they could they could relate to that, you know. And um, but and it's interesting seeing it from their perspective and my perspective of of seeing these characters because they they understand that too. Like they play Smash Brothers, they you know what I mean. They understand like picking your 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 characters you want on your team uh, in a video game. Um, but they didn't realize, well, it's, it's funny. Like my son said to me, he's like, as soon as they all popped up, he's like, he's like, you know who these people are, don't you, mom? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, so he got that even though he didn't know that it was, you, you know, like who they were. Like he got that they were legacy characters. Like he doesn't know that term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, so I thought that was cool. But he, he, and, and one cool thing is, is after we finished watching it, um, I told them how they did it. I said that, you know, these, cause, the dedication at the end, mm-hmm. I couldn't help it. I started crying. Um, you know, who helped? Uh, I forget. I forget what the wording is, but you know, for Leonard Nimoy, R- Renee Bergeron, yeah, and uh, and J- and James Doohan, you know, to help us to boldly go or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. and you know, I started crying, and um, and then I explained to my kids how you know the the people who played those characters have passed away, and the way they made them talk was you know they they got the clips of what they said in previous Star Trek episodes. And they didn't get that. Like, that was, like, news to them. They're like, whoa, that's cool. And they wanted to watch it again, like, see how they did it. So oh, cool. I thought that was interesting, you know, because right away it's like, oh, look, at this cool archival footage, you know? So I do want to talk about that a little bit more because I, I don't know. Like, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, mm-hmm. in this particular instance, I feel like it's fairly benign. But... In mm-hmm. general, I have very mixed feelings about using character or actors who have passed away and like creating a performance for them. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, there, there's a part of me that feels like that should probably be, we should probably be extremely careful with that. Um, they're not around, uh, and, and, you know, the thing is, is like, in this case, I really feel like they would have all been fine with it, but, you know, mm-hmm. you can't really know, and I just feel like it's a slippery slope. So, like, even though I, obviously I enjoy seeing Spock and Odo and, and Scotty and stuff, there was a part of me that was very much like, I really wish they had just stuck with voice actors that were still Mm -hmm. around. One, because I do feel like the performances just kind of were lacking a little bit of their magic. Like, voice acting is a true art. Acting is a true art. 
You can make it sound like them, but is it's not really them, and there's not really a performance. And also, I just think it would have been fun to have more characters that we don't see as often. Mm-hmm. So, like, I really enjoyed seeing Crusher, for example, but we could have had, like, I don't know, Ezri Dax, or, like, some of the Enterprise characters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, give some of the characters that haven't, you know, always gotten their due some extra yeah, yeah, time. Cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I would say that overall, this is my favorite episode, and I do I loved the idea, but there was definitely mm-hmm. a part of me that was like, I feel like I would have loved it way more if they had been all been original voice performances and they had chosen, you know, some more obscure characters to just give them a little bit more Star Trek time. I, I agree with what you're saying about, um, you know, about the actors, about using actors who have passed voice, but here they're literally taking the characters, what they've said, and just putting them in a new... Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. It's like Spock has already said that, and he's just saying it again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it didn't... Like you said, it's... Like you said, it's benign. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean... And, and, the, and they, they did say that they got all the... The, um, the estates. The estates yeah. to sign off, which which helps, but, but yeah, but it's not the actor signing off on it. Uh, yeah. As I said, I think in this particular instance, I, I feel fairly comfortable yeah. with it. It's just the yeah, concept yeah. that I... Un- in general, in general yes. that I'm uncomfortable with. I agree. I agree. I um I did like sp- like Spock kind of signing off on on Dow as a as a leader. Yeah, that at was the very end. cute. Um, but again, like they they could have had uh, Ethan Peck, you know, come on and, yeah. and be Spock, right? Um, because I I I agree with what you're saying too. Like we have this whole vast universe of characters of actors who are still could have here had who yeah i could have tuvok you know like you said Ezri's a good really good choice and um you know, because it was great seeing you know having beverly crusher back and and so I, I definitely see that uh that side of it too i will i will say that overall i think it worked i i totally agree with you andy and i did definitely saw some fans on twitter who like thought it was like borderline sacrilegious <laughs> And, um, I mean, I think that largely it worked and, and the context of it being a game and in the holodeck helps yeah, a lot. Yeah. I, as like someone who knew where most of the reference came from, it pulled me out of it a little bit. Cause I'd yeah. be like, oh, that quote, that's from that moment and like could connect to that back. But like, obviously most kids <laughs> would not be doing that. Um, I also had a little bit of like discomfort with, um, with using Nichelle's voice in that way, even though Nichelle is obviously around. Um, but you know, I think that there is, you know, a question about like her ability to, to consent. Yeah. To I think like that we, we know she's not unfortunately as well as, as she used to be and, and that it, it just, um, made me a bit uncomfortable knowing like the issues there are currently with like her, her conservatorship and things like yeah. that that, um, yeah, but I mean, uh, but on the face of it, like the tribute to these characters, including Uhura, I think was really lovely. And it's a really like, a really nice way to introduce them to a new generation. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I, I really liked what this episode said about about Dal as a character, because I, I saw I mean, there was a lot of people who just simply did not like Dal at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I get it. But I think he, the way he's reacting is, is very, very natural for someone who's lived the life he's led. Um, you know, we, we hear in the beginning, uh, in, in Lost and Found, the two things we know about him is, is, is he, 
he's never gives up hope. You know, he has Starfleet levels of optimism. <laughs> um, and that he's a survivor. That's what Zero says. He's a survivor. Um, and I, I think part of the reason why he's a survivor, his, his coping mechanism, his survival mechanism is to be alone, to not trust anyone, to not do, you know, that, that's why you're like, I'm not going to Starfleet. That's just another name for someone else in charge. You know, I'm not doing this. So we like, I've been on my own. I'm going to do on my own. So I think it was a very important lesson, uh, for him to learn in the Kobayashi Maru that he's got to listen to, to his whole crew. And he does, he learns it pretty quickly, I think. He's also a kid. Only like he's 140 a attempts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But well, and and that's but that's what's interesting too about him here. He doesn't give up like until he wants to beat. He doesn't know it's a no win scenario, you know. Mm-hmm. But he wants to beat it, and he's not giving up. And he's 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 not giving up until he until he gets it. And and it's worth noting that he did eventually come up with you know a winning scenario to the Kobayashi Maru. I also love that he beat the Kobayashi Maru, which you know no other character has. And without right. cheating, and then immediately biffed it. That was so funny. Yeah. That was really funny. I love, like, also you, when you see the montage of the failed attempts, and there's yes. the one where he's just, he's, like, has this kind of crazed look in his eyes, and he's, like, blaring rock music, yes, and it's, yes. uh, like, an homage. There's so many um, so homages good. in this episode. Um, it's an homage to, like, First Contact with Sephiroth Cochran. Um yeah, like, it, and also, I mean, it also harkened back to Star Trek Beyond yeah, for me yeah. and, like, the Beastie Boys stuff. But, yeah, um, also, just before we um, finish this episode, I need to mention also the um, reference to the game, because he's literally playing yeah. the game at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> and it's so great. Um, and also the, like you said, like the, um, in Excretus, um, episode where they, like in this, they have the montage of holodeck programs that Janeway shows them. And yes. it's all these references to episodes, including I love poking fun at her Jane Eyre models. <laughs> I love the Dracula one. I want to play that. I want to play Starfleet yes. Dracula. And, uh, and it's gorgeous too. If you pause it, like there's so many hidden deltas in the castle. It's actually quite lovely. It's Ooh. pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, it was a nice selection of, of, of hollow programs that she picked to show them. Let's just be glad that none of Quark's hollow programs were there. That would have been inappropriate. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Is there is there child uh you child know, like child safety, safety protocols <laughs> on the holiday? Well, I mean you taught we were talking, Jen, about Dahl's distrust of people. I think we see why when we get to this next episode, first contact, yes. in which this is also another one that gave me guardian vibes. This yeah. this kid who's like picked mm-hmm. up by this thief and like <laughs> he uh, also a little bit of like staircase under the or like covered under the staircase uh, vibes. Star Wars Rebels for me with like Ezra's uh, uh, smuggler friends. Yeah. So, um, but I think that that c- kind of goes to show why Dal is the way he is. Like he was raised super unconventionally and not and you know taught a pretty immoral way of looking th- at things and very um, mm-hmm. transactional. Um, and then the person that he you know trusted immediately sells him out and it's similar to and also previously literally yes. sold him. <laughs> and and i mean it's kind of mirrors why him and gwen 
you know, I think that they understand each other in some ways because yeah. mm-hmm. they're both betrayed by people they see as parental figures. And in in Gwen's case, literally, and Dahl's case, the closest thing he has had. There's also just a lovely Star Trek message in this episode, and it's absolutely gorgeous. When they go down to this planet, mm-hmm. they think they're going to get, like, basically con these aliens out of a crystal. And then they realize that they actually need all the crystals to communicate, and it would, like, destroy their culture. And the aliens give them this beautiful gift of, like, a song and laser show. <laughs> um, and um, they, you know, realize that that like the gift is communication and exchange and learning something new about someone and that they've just given you this this gift of of them and their culture and you can't then go and like stab them in the back and steal from them yeah and when and when um when she, when she rips the crystal from them i mean it, it's 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 almost like like physically violent you know because it feels mm-hmm. like it's it's part of them you know the way they set it up is a very unique um, an interesting alien culture that, again, they were able to do because of the, the animation. Um, you know, these, these, I forget what, uh, acoustic terraf- terraforming, I think they call it. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these big, beautiful sand, um, you know, caves and things and these aliens that look like, I don't know, they give me Kingdom of the Crystal Skull vibes, honestly, <laughs> but, but there's just these, these like ghostly figures that you wouldn't be able to do. And it's just so neat and so beautiful. And then, and then, you know, Nandi, uh, violently, you know, rips these crystals from them. And it, it's, it's, it's like, a, it gave me like a, like a, like a visceral, like, like revulsion in the pit of my stomach, you know, when she did that, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good. You know, like that's, they did a really good job of, of, of building this, this alien culture in just such a short amount of time to me, you know, for me. Uh, so that was very interesting and, and the fact that Dahl doesn't hesitate to defend them, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, is great. And and he, the way he fights, yeah, he sends them off to to safety and then goes to fight her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, somebody somebody acknowledging their mistake and seeking yeah. amends. It's a it's a theme. It's a theme, yeah. And it's worth noting that these are all just really good kids. Like they they all mm-hmm. are Starfleet material. You know what I mean? They're good people. Um, they're not, you know, they're not, their, their motives are, are pure in that sense, you know? You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because one thing that I was thinking that I didn't like from, uh, earlier when Rock Tech is, is telling Gwen that they're not prisoners, that they're not criminals, mm-hmm. that they didn't do anything wrong. Oh, as if that would have been okay. Yeah. I was yes. like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm glad you're not criminal. Like, okay. But, like, right, even right. if they had committed crimes, it still would not have been okay to have right, them, yes. m- you know, mining <laughs> forever. I noticed that, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not great. Not great. Not great. Not great, Gwen. Also, Also, they were kids, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But yeah. But, and I think that might just be, like, er- like early characterization. T- well, I mean, I think she sees it as a, like, di- a, as a justification. I mean, growing up in an environment like that, it's, it's, I mean, you're almost brainwashed too. I think that some of that is, is Gwen having this brainwashing and having to deprogram from that is part of her character development too. Well, the next one is my favorite episode. So time amok. So this is the time anomaly episode, which can be tricky. And as we know, Janeway is, is not so into time travel, 
But um, <laughs> I think that this one was really fun and, you know, goes straight to our theme of trusting each other and working together. And I just think it's a really cool sci-fi version of this. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. Why is it your favorite, Jara? So first of all, I thought it was really well paced. I thought that the time anomaly, while it was like a little complicated, basically, they're kind of all in like a different circle of time that is moving at a different speed. And Janeway is moving between those circles and each one as they like, they go towards the the circles that are the person like time is stretched out for. Um, they are learning from the, the people that went before and didn't have as much time. Everyone dies. So I was, again, like, bold move. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> um, but it, uh, works really well. It's like, it's dramatic. It's poignant. Um, my favorite Murph moment is the one where, um, Janeway is like, whoever's in this next circle is like gonna have to save us. And then she finds it's Murph. <laughs> and she's like, oh, great. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that, um, there also Dreadnought comes back. I mean, he, he sort of, he came back in the previous episode where we find out he's, he's actually on the ship. Um, and he comes after Gwyn and also like trying to take their, uh, protostar engine. Um, so there's like a complicating figure or, um, in the situation. And then there is this, really kind of poignant moment about how Rock Talk had basically lived a really long time during this whole thing and uh, was alone this whole time. And there's this really like sad moment where she's kind of tucking herself in and like talking to the crew, like they're still there, but they're not. And knowing that like that is going to have an effect on her. And I think we see that it, it both has like a traumatic effect, but it also like she leveled up big mm-hmm. time in yeah. in this episode in her abilities and her knowledge. I also like that you know it's all based on a character development piece where Gwen is trying to push her into into being the security officer or whatever and she doesn't want to do that and she's resisting mm-hmm. like this this view of her that other people have based on what she looks like that has never really fit mm-hmm. her and her kind of taking control of that and like deciding what she wants to be good at and, and like finding confidence and pushing back on that. So I, I always think that shenanigans are much better when they are tied to emotional character arcs. And, and this is a great yes. example of that. Yeah. I t- totally agree with everything you guys just said. I, I feel like, like this episode is uh, just as good as the best time travel episodes in the, in the live action Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, th- this belongs in the same pantheon with, with some of those. I, I, I mean, the damp sine wave temporal anomaly that they're in. I mean, you, what, you think that you've seen it all. Like, like everything you do with time travel, you think it's already been done. I've never seen that. That's, that would a, what a great idea. You know, that was, re- I thought that was really clever. I thought it was really well done. It was done in a way that, that my kids could even understand what was going on. I had mm-hmm. to explain a little bit to my youngest, um, but my older two, like, like, got it, understood right away what was happening. And like you said, there's really good character moments involved in it, which is, is also a good sign of, of, of a start, of a good Star Trek time travel episode. And, and, but the fact that it, it's, it's going to resonate with this character. 
you know, throughout the rest of the series that now, now she, they, they came up with, with a really, really unique way and, and a, and a really, really believable way to give this character like super science powers. You know what I mean? Like, like, okay, now we know. Cause she spent, I mean, if you do the math, at least, you know, probably over a year alone learning quantum mechanics and computer engineering and whatever else she said she learned, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's just fascinating. My kids were really, really into this idea and they still debate about how long Rock Doc was alone, you know? So this really, really, I mean, which is, it's, it's, a ter- it's, it's, it's heart wrenching to think, think about it. It really struck my kids' imagination and they're still talking about it, which I, I just, it just, which is what you want. Like, this is what I, I couldn't have asked for anything more than that out of, out of this show for my kids. And it's just, I just love everything about this episode. Yeah. And you talked about leveling up. I think, so as I said before, this whole season is basically giving them all of the pieces that they need to go back. Yeah. And make their stand, which they do in A Moral Star, part one and two, where Mm -hmm. all of the lessons that they learned during their journey kind of come together and they, you know, they, they work together. They all use their various strengths that they have, um, worked on during this time. Um, and they confront the Diviner and Dreadnought, um, and they, you know, really, you know, um, save their follow. They finally got justice for the location, you know? Um, so they go back and they confront what they've been running from. Yeah. And I think that's really important too. what we were talking about with lost and found about how this is dark and this, these are really dark themes and these are children slaves, you know? And, and so I think it was really important for them to go back and, you know, and, and, and set free everyone who was on that, that prison planet. Like, I, I think that wasn't important for, especially for a kid's show. I would have loved if they'd done it, you know, with a live action show too, but, but especially for a kid show to, to see that, like, this group of kids could come together and really, really make a change. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think my kids really understood that too. Yeah. Two things I really liked about the two part conclusion to the first half of the season um was um i mentioned they they gave more backstory to the diviner so he's not just like because i remember daphne at the beginning being like why is he like that and i'm like i have no idea so at least you know you know that that he thinks it's right in his weird warped way and i mean also i am uh as much as i don't think that you should go destroy the whole federation i am sympathetic to the argument that the federation sometimes goes in and messes with other worlds (laughs) and the other thing i really liked was how when they go to liberate their fellow uh former fellow mining child prisoners um they one of the first things they do is give them the universal translator so they all can communicate with each other and it's so kind of joyous to see these people that have not been able to understand each other suddenly all be speaking the same language it's very cool yeah it's it's really satisfying and i love the two miners who uh yes have a love connection it's oh just gosh, so, so sweet cute. what a fun little thing to throw in i really like yeah. that well and i mean it goes to um the, the theme that they started up in the pilot which is communication is everything like they can't mm-hmm. they can't 
organize and fight back because they can't communicate with each other. And the big turning point for Dahl and the crew was finding the Universal Translator. It is also the same for the miners. We also get another um, uncanny evil Janeway. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta say. Oh my god. Respectfully. <laughs> goth Janeway yeah. was very hot. I'm just gonna say. Very hot. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> the dark yeah. lip, man. Yeah. Yes, yes. The dark lip, yes. <laughs> and, and I also like, too, that it was just a ploy. I, I, I like the way they handled that because because they did a, they've done a lot of messing with with Janeway's program mm-hmm. in, in this in this season in this first half of the first season, um, you know, and and apparently in the past too, um, with you know what we see with Dakota and what you know what happened, uh, which we you know, have her, not her, discussed her... yet. So what do we think happened to Chicote? Do we think we're going to find out in the second half? Oh yeah, yeah I, I mean, so. real Janeway is gonna find Chicote. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's not gonna rest till she finds out what happens to Chicote. What happened to Chicote? Now the only yeah, the, the only the... question is, with all the timey wimey stuff, are we gonna find the Chicote we know and love? Are we gonna find old man Chicote? You know, or what? What's gonna happen? <laughs> where, like, where has he been? I yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to find out. So I thought that this was an excellent conclusion, and I just was really impressed with the way that pretty much everything that happened, like, there was pretty much nothing wasted in this season. Yeah. Like, it mm-hmm. was all yep. leading somewhere. Um, the, the character moments all led somewhere specific. The themes all led somewhere specific. All the little clues we got built up to each other to to this final episode, and I just thought it was a really well done season, and I really dug this uh, this this show. It was really good. Very much enjoyed it. Each each character had you know a beginning, a middle, and the end, and an end too. To 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 you know Mm -hmm. in their development of, of where they wanted to be. You know, at the end of this this mid season break. I mean, maybe did Jankum Pog yeah, grow see, much? I was just about to bring that up because I do feel like Jankum Pog is probably the weak link here. He's very very fun. I'm sure there's more coming. I hope so. You know what we learned? We learned about him that he was on a teller teller um, sleeper ship. So who knows what his background was? Um, I want to learn more about his his go go gadget arm. Um, mm-hmm. but he does get a moment in, in a moral star part. Um, I think it's part two, you know, when rock talk does her thing, like, a- a- and science is the he way lets out. her step. And in. then he, yeah, he lets yep. her step in and then he becomes a security guy. And he, I like that too, because he's, he's subverting expectations as well, because mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's like, you wouldn't expect him to be as agile as he is in that scene. You know what I mean? Like, like they do a really yeah. good job of making him, him have instincts with that, with, with the security and using that, that go, go gadget arm in unique ways to keep the, the bad guys back from rock. So she could do what she needs to do. And it's really, it's really cool to see, you know? Um, so, so he does have a little bit of, of finding his place as well at the very end there, but yeah, it's definitely the rink, weak link as far as development goes. They didn't, they didn't give him an arc the way everybody else got an arc. Right. Except for, yeah. I guess, I'm, Murph. I'm sure there'll be more. And Murph. Yeah. <laughs> but do we need Murph to have an arc? Because I don't think we do. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, Murph is perfect yeah, already. He is. Well, it's good to know. Like, well, even then, like you said, with like the, the everything, nothing was wasted. 
Murph eating things at the beginning seemed like a yes. funny thing, mm-hmm. and then it turned out to be really important later. Like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. asking for a friend, what would happen if someone ate a photon grenade? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was just like a funny thing. But then later on, oh, <laughs> now Murph can eat the protostar and it's cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or the dilithium chamber for whatever, you know, whatever it was that he they actually swallowed. But, um. Yeah. But yeah, so, so, yeah, but I totally agree with you. And, and, but, J- and Jankum Pog has, it's, it's interesting because my, my son's favorite is Jankum. He's a fun character for sure. My son's really into gadgets and I think he's got a mechanical tendency, you know, um, tactile, mechanical, you know, thing is where, is where his strengths are. So I think he just relates to Jankum Pog, uh, from that perspective. But uh, so I thought that was interesting. I was like, really, all these like dynamic characters, and that's the you know, like it's cool that that's the one you focus on. You know, there's something for everyone, which is cool. But um, mm-hmm. if I, w- I do want to talk a little bit more about um, about the diviner because because what you were saying, like, it, I I I I felt the same way in in Lo- you know, especially like in Lost and Found. I was like, oh, so this bad guy, there's, there's not really anything like. Driving deep, him. deep about him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like I'll get you, He Man, you know, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And and I just and t- so I really, I really, really like what they did with him in a moral star. They made him, oh man, like he said. First of all, it it really helped figure out why he treated the prisoner so terribly. Um, you know, when you just realize that he just thinks that his species is superior. Mm-hmm. Um, to all other species and he's, you know, xenophobic and racist and horrible. Um, so, oh, I get it now. Like I get him, mm-hmm. more, you know, like that makes sense. Um, but he said, he says, oh my gosh, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but he says that, um, that they were fighting to preserve their way of life. And that's a really coded thing for a mm-hmm. villain to say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because that's, that's how you get into the, the horrible, you know, racism and, and xenophobia and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and I think that I thought that was really, I think that made him a very, very, a very, very good villain for the times we're living in. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so, so his little speech in the, in the holodeck, um, when they were visiting, you know, solemn, I, I mean, that, that just really, that, that made me really into him as a villain. Cause I, th- I think that's very interesting. Um, and I think too, like, I mean, I like the way they did it because I was fully prepared. I was like, I'm going to hate what's, what the Federation did. And I'm going to have to feel, you know, sympathy for this, this jerk who, you know, runs a child mining, you know, slave colony, you know, that was my fear. <laughs> um, but the way they did it, it's like, okay, there was first contact and then they couldn't handle it and they spiraled into civil war mm-hmm. and, Starfleet didn't, you know, do anything wrong with the first contact, but they, what they probably did wrong was then not follow up on it, which is then the, you know, lower deck second contact thing. They need a California class to come in and crossover. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, I think that it's, it'll, I think there's a lot of opportunity with that for them to show like, okay, the Federation's great. We've been telling you for the, you know, these 10 episodes how great the Federation is, but <laughs> they're not perfect. And that's mm-hmm. important to know. And it's important to see ways that even they, good, these good intentioned people could learn and change and grow just like our characters are learning and changing and growing, you know, and there's potential there. Uh, but I also like that I'm also still not sympathetic to the diviner because he's a, he's a racist, you know, but he's awful. And, you know, and quite frankly, he, he deserves what he got, which is a horrible thing to say. There is poetic justice there for, for zero to be able to confront 
you know? So I just thought that was really interesting. I thought, and again, like we're talking about it going dark, like that was a really dark thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And I know Mm -hmm. I'm sure he'll be back. Like he'll be back. And uh, because that's, that, that's just not over because he's Gwen's dad. Mm -hmm. Like there'll be more storylines. And and obviously like it's not settled, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, so he'll, he'll be you know, recovered or, or whatever. And the, and Dreadnought will be back. He's great because if he could just print a new one, which I love, you know, it's big Wayne vibes <laughs> from Dreadnought, which mm, is I like cool, that, yeah. I, which I like a lot. And I, lo- and I love Jimmy Simpson. I think he's he's great. So Yeah, they spared no expense mm-hmm. on the villain voices. John Noble and right? Jimmy Simpson. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. So I, I would love if people would comment and let us know where they want to see the story go in the second half of this, because I think they've set, like, they've planted some really interesting seeds, and I am very interested to see what they grow into. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, uh, Jera, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And Jen, if folks want to track you down and talk to you about Prodigy, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ida Quarks. And I am Andy. Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com, email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. Thanks so much for listening.